You are listening to Paragon Church, Engage, Week 3, Share Your Story. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. Last week, if you were here with us, you know we began by diving into engaging with the gospel. The video you just saw was four minutes wrapping up my entire message of 40 minutes last week in a much cooler, much more word poet, much more understandable way. So if you want to find that video, you can find it on YouTube or you can find it on Dare to Share. We're going to talk more about the gospel today because for the last few weeks, we've been talking about engaging. For the last two weeks, we've been praying about engaging. For the last two weeks, we've been fasting about engaging, about engaging first with God. First with God, because if we're not engaging with God in prayer, and we're not engaging in in His mindset, in what He wants to do, we are going to forget all the other things that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And I'm sorry, I got really excited and jumped right into it. My first and fourth graders are like, when do we get to leave now? So you guys can go ahead over there with uh, with Miss Gloria. So you guys head that way as you do. I'm sorry about that. But we talked two weeks ago about engaging with God and how we engage with God in prayer so we can understand just a little bit about what He wants in our lives. Just a little bit about what He wants for our lives, and what to do to glorify himself in it all. But oftentimes, if we're not engaging with him, we don't understand his will. We can't pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. Instead, we focus on our will be done. We focus on our kingdom come. And so that's the reason why we need to engage with God first. And I think if we don't engage with God first... Everything we talk about with the gospel, everything we talk about with community next week, everything we talk about just getting engaged with the church, and every message really every other Sunday after this isn't going to really matter that much. Because if we are not engaged with God, if we're not on the same page as Him, we're just kind of going through the motions. We're going through the motions of Christianity. We're going through the motions of being a believer. And here is the reality. We have to engage with Him so we can know the gospel. We can know what he has done in our lives, and we can know, and that's what we talked about last week. And then we talked about not just knowing it, but implying it, putting it into practice in our lives and applying it in such a way. And then as we talk today, we're going to engage in actually sharing it. We're going to engage in sharing it. And next week, like I said, we're going to talk about the church, and the week after that, we're going to talk about community. How do we engage? How do we engage in those areas? How difficult is it for us to engage in those areas? How difficult is it for the last two weeks? I, I wouldn't ask for a show of hands, therefore, I, so I'm not any way disappointed or get a, a big head either way, that how easy was it to fast and pray for the last two weeks? We gave you the prayer guide. We gave you the ability. We gave you the opportunity. How many of us woke up and said, yes, today is the day I'm going to engage with God. Today is the day I'm going to pray to him. Today is the day I'm going to pray that his will be done and not mine. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. As a matter of fact, I began to look and see how hard it is to even share the gospel, how hard it is to know the gospel and say, look what God did in my life, and every day I can celebrate that. Look and apply that in my life and say, every day I can celebrate that. Even though I asked you this week to pray this prayer, God, open my eyes. God, open a door. God, open my mouth, and God, open their hearts. That was our prayer last week. 
In our prayer that I asked you to, to include over this week, God, open my eyes. God, open the door. God, open my mouth. God, open their hearts. Give me that opportunity. Give me the opportunity to know it. Give me the opportunity to apply it. And give me the opportunity to share it and live it out. And we talked about so many different things last week as we, as we looked at the, the knowledge of loving the gospel. We talked about Romans 1.16 where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation. It is the power of salvation. And we said, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Instead, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it in my life. And, and the things that I love in life, I will talk about. If you have a favorite restaurant, you're going to talk about it. If you have a favorite sports team, you're going to talk about it. If you love God, I pray that you're going to talk about it. And what's that application going to look like and how are we going to live it out? We talked about that next step of living it out and saying, look at Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Those are agents of change. We weren't just saved for ourselves. We were saved to be a part of changing the world. And that comes to sharing it. Because while we can live it, while we can know it, sharing it and proclaiming it, that is how people are going to hear it. That's how people are going to hear it. Now, I have a question for you. And that question kind of comes down to this. Is sharing the gospel easy? Is it a thing that we must do? Because when you look at it, some people say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I didn't go and put in the office of an evangelist. And you know what? I understand that. I'm a little bit more shy. I couldn't get up and talk to a bunch of people on things along those lines. But it doesn't change that it was commanded by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It doesn't change the fact that he said, go and make disciples by teaching them and baptizing them and and having that conversation with them. It doesn't change the fact that in Acts 1.8 he says, you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, will go and be my witnesses in all of the land from Jerusalem all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't change that fact. We all have been given the gift to share with others. But do we? And part of the reason why I ask do we is because I'm not sure how many of us do. Even though we know it's a goal, even though we know it's a mission, we get distracted, don't we? We get distracted from those things. I got to thinking about this week. I was reading uh, If You Give a Moose a Muffin this week, because that, that's one of the things I do, and I realized that is my life. The, the moose and muffin, the mouse of cookie, the pick a pancake, if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's all about distraction. It's all about, I was going to do this, and then I had to do that, and then I had to do that, and, and all of a sudden you forgot what you were doing from, from the very beginning. And, and I feel like that's my life sometimes. And my, the main mission we have is the one that God told us to go and share the gospel to go and live it out, to go and use words. And, and the thing is, is that, like I said, we get so distracted, so distracted. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's spiritual. And a good thing is, I think I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that gets distracted. I'm not the only one that, that really struggles with engaging in the mission that we've been given. Because according to the most recent study, they did a study of churchgoers. Not just Christians, but churchgoers. And they asked churchgoers, in the last year, how many of you have at least had one gospel conversation? The percentage, 39. In the last year, 39% of churchgoers had a gospel conversation, which means 61% didn't. And they asked the 61%, why didn't you? And really, the answer was fell in line with a lot of the 39% too, that they didn't do 
more or didn't have an opportunity to share more because of these four things. The first one, lack of gospel knowledge. Lack of gospel knowledge. That's the reason why I shared with you last week. That's the reason why I showed you the video at the beginning this week. To know the gospel. To know what Jesus did for you. To know who God is. To know who you are. To know who Jesus is. And to know what God and Jesus did to change you. That is the gospel. And we can share it. But people don't, we're afraid that they don't know it. My guess is I bet you know more than you think you do. The second thing is was fear fear. I'm just afraid to share it. I'm afraid of how people might respond. I might be afraid of, of how uh, they might part, uh, you know, kind of look at me. I'm afraid in these different areas. But here's the reality. You're afraid maybe you might fail. The thing is, we're not the ones doing the life change. Jesus is the one doing the life change. It's kind of like that video. You don't have to defend a lion. Just unlock the cage. Let him do his thing. You just have to be the vessel to do that part. Third and fourth ones really tie together. The third one is this, it's apathy. People just don't care. They don't care about the people around them. They don't care really a lot of times about themselves. They just don't care. So why would we bother sharing the gospel with somebody? And the, the fourth one, like I said, ties into that one. It's a lack of compassion or a lack of empathy. Again, too busy to connect with anyone. It's interesting. I found an article uh, by the uh, uh, Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's an article I found actually yesterday. And in the process of finding it yesterday, I started reading through it. And it's amazing how much it ties into exactly what I was teaching last week and this, this lack of engagement and this engagement we have to have for, for really connecting with the community. Let me read a little bit of it for you if you don't mind. It says this. The stats actually I got came from this. And it says this. If these statistics are true, the 61%, then many Christians are disengaged from evangelistic efforts despite feeling the need to do so. You might think that a lack of training or discomfort of personal conversation or even the fear of rejection might be the problem, but LifeWay research also shows that Christians actually feel comfortable, 75% of sharing their faith, and few have anxiety, only 8% about faith conversations. So what gives? One clue can be found in Sherry Turkle's research. Turkle, who's a professor of social studies and science and technology at MIT, so she's way smarter than me, but she's also an author of this book called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. Connecting our busy lives and overuse of technology with eroding ability can be traced back to a decrease in face-to-face -face exchanges. All this is falling apart because we don't ever talk to each other. Our near constant screen time, phones, tablets, computers, TV, has dire consequences in our ability to relate to and communicate with others. In the past 20 years, there's been a 40% decline in empathetic capacity among college students, with most of it taking place in the last 10 years. This is significant because empathy is a key motivator for sharing the gospel. Empathy allows us to enter into the life of another person. Only in meaningful, heartfelt conversation do we begin to understand the joys and the sorrows of another person and what they bear. Screen time steals away the connections that prompt us to share God's story. As face-to-face -face conversations decline, we miss opportunities to enter into others' lives and see their great need for the gospel. Without face-to-face -face conversation, we simply lack empathy and motivation to share the gospel. Without empathy, our wonder of God's story grows dim. We forget the beauty of rescue and redemption. We don't share the good news. Would you say that's where the church is now? Would you say that's where, where we are now? I began to look at that, and the next thing it says, what do we do about it? 
And it says this, we're to combat this empathy crisis. We must purposefully, intentionally enter into the lives of others. You know what that means? Engage. We actually have to engage in conversation with somebody else. We must renew our own wonder at the gospel, knowing the gospel that I talked about last week, of God's coming near in Jesus and how it changes everything. We must seek out meaningful conversation that opens space for people to share what's really happening in their lives. We have to open up. We have to engage. We have to be face-to-face. People are desperate for it. We have these false sense of engagement. We have this false sense of connection through social media, but it's not face-to-face. Can I ask you how many of you have gone to a restaurant lately and looked around and watched people at other tables sit on their phones while sitting across from each other on a date or on a, some sort of outing in some way? They're just sitting there doing this. I don't know if they're talking to each other or not, or if they're Instagramming their food so everybody else knows they're on a date. I don't know exactly what's going on, but they're not connecting. And and it needs to stop. We need to have these gospel conversations. We just need to have real conversations that lead to gospel conversations. And the crazy thing is, is Jesus was a master at that. He was a master at that. Among other things, he could take a conversation to a deeper level. Think about this. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. She's talking about water. Where does Jesus take it? He takes it to living water. When the the group of people are walking behind him or talking about being hungry and eating, he takes it to the next level and talks about the bread of life. When people are talking about taxes and gathering around a tax table, he talks to a guy by the name of Levi, takes it to the next level, and Levi becomes a follower of Christ to be changed to the name Matthew. Talk about uh, Zacchaeus going up in the tree, going over just to eat dinner at his house. And somehow, some way in that dinner at the house, he decides he's going to pay everybody back multiple times what he already had, and his life is going to be changed. Jesus was a master at it. But probably the most famous conversation that we can look at with Jesus is found in John chapter 3, the, the, the chapter right before that woman at the well chapter. If you do me a favor and have your Bibles, open up John chapter 3 for me. In John chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. And yes, you can figure that out, that John 3, 16 fits into this. That's probably it's one of the more famous conversations that he has. It's a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. So if you have your Bibles open there, I want you to see how Jesus engaged a person where he is at, found a common connection, and moved that person towards a spiritual connection. It's a pattern I think we can see. It's a pattern I think we need to see. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how would you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That conversation is one that we're going to dive into. And look at how Jesus took an average question, or really just an average statement, and made a shift. See, last week we talked about that loving of the gospel, the knowing of the gospel, to love it, to talk about it, to share it, then to apply it. Not just apply it, but to live it. And today we're going to jump in that next step that the gospel wasn't just given to change us, but to change the world. And we change it by sharing the gospel, by opening our mouth. The gospel can be applied personally. It can be lived out, but it has to be proclaimed. It has to be proclaimed. So what we need to do first as we're sharing the gospel is this number one thing. We have to seize the opportunity. We have to seize the opportunity to be clear and concise to share the gospel. And I think that's exactly what John is recording as Jesus is speaking here. What John is recording and, and, and Jesus is speaking is there's a rich, rich, sorry, well, he's probably rich as well, but a religious ruler named Nicodemus who came to him at night and had a question for him. Now, it's interesting that, that as he begins to speak to him, the first thing that Jesus does is he gets Nicodemus thinking. He gets Nicodemus thinking. That's what he does in the seizing of the moment. See, in the first two verses, Nicodemus came to looking for answers. And he had a question, but yet he kind of phrases the question in the form of a statement, which I thought was interesting. Because if you look at how Jesus answers in verse 3, it doesn't exactly fit with verse 2. But because Jesus knew what he was asking, he saw the opportunity that came there. See, it says in verse 2, This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Like I said, it's a statement. But yet there's a question in there. And I believe that everybody we know, at some point in their life, if it's not right now, it has happened or will happen, asks these spiritual questions. I think we all have these deep down questions inside, something like this. Like, what happens to a person when he or she dies? I think it's a real question people ask. How about this? What is the point of my life? Why am I here? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this world? How do I fix me? How do I fix this world? What is going on? What is this feeling of guilt that I have? And what the, all the things, what is it? If somebody would ask you those questions, are you able to answer? See, I believe that as a church, not just the, the church of Paragon, but as the universal church, those who are believers in Jesus, we should be people that first people want to talk to, and second, we should be people who have an answer. An answer in the form of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus does. He, he takes this basic conversation and makes it a spiritual conversation. Look what he says in verse 3. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what that is? I'm not sure if you ever watch judge shows or the, the ones where they're in a courtroom and they're like, questions leading, sustained, overruled. He's leading, leading Nicodemus in this question. 
He, he's leading him. Because you can't say, hey, you can't be born again to whatever he, the statement he was made before without going, okay, yeah, you're right, and just walk away. You, you're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? It's a leading statement that, that draws him in. It grabs his attention. And there's a guy by the name of Kevin Harney. He wrote a book called Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. And he actually listed five questions to help draw people in, to help seize that opportunity, to help open their eyes. And this is number one. What are some joys you are experiencing in this season of your life? Start bringing them in. What challenges and struggles are you facing? What is your personal history when it comes to faith in God? What do you believe about God? What is your perception of Christians? You want to get a conversation going in the spiritual realm? Ask one of those five. My guess is you're going to get some thoughts. You're going to get some interaction in it all. But here's the reality. We need to, before we can share the gospel, get to know somebody. Have a conversation and care about them. You ever heard that statement before? They're not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. Care about them. Care about where they are. Get people thinking, not just scream at them. You know, it's interesting how often I see that where people are just yelling back and forth. Who listens when there's yelling going on? Nobody, really. And, and the interesting thing that I, I saw this happen this week, on, on Wednesday I went to the dentist. Uh, the dentist isn't my favorite place to go, but I have to go every six months. And, and uh, you know, you have to have conversation because you're just laying there while they're scraping away things on your teeth and ask you other questions. So I'm like, oh, I'll ask you a question if you're going to ask me all these questions. So I, I shout out a question to uh, my dental hygienist. I said, hey, when you're talking to people, do you just stare at their teeth? Because you know if you do certain jobs, like we had a fire inspector come in here the other day to, to just come in and talk, but as soon as you walked in, you looked at the fire exit sign, you looked at the, at the, uh, the fire extinguisher, make sure everything was good. You know, it wasn't his job that day, but that's what he did. So I asked her, I said, do you just stare at people's teeth? She goes, no, I stare at their gums. And I went, what? She goes, yeah, I stare at their gums because teeth, they can be deceiving. But he, she's like, you know, if you look, people will whiten their teeth, but their, red, their gums will be all red and puffy. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. I, I don't notice that. That's not something that, that stands out to me. She goes, yeah, people are really good about trying to cover up on the outside real deep down root problems. And I went, wow, that sounds kind of like my job. And she said, how's that? And I said, well, Thanks for the opportunity. And then she put her hands in my mouth, so it got a little jarbled there for a second. But I just said, you know, it's amazing how easy we can go try and cover up the outside and make it look really good on the outside, but we forget the root problem of sin. And the conversation kind of came up. And she goes, oh, you mean like reading the Bible? I'm like, well, that's part of it. And so we had a gospel conversation. I had to seize that opportunity. Now, I didn't have her get down on her knee right there and pray a prayer or anything along those lines. But the, the discussion began, and I'll see her again in six months, I'm sure. And, and the, the, the topic comes up, and that's a seed that is planted. And I think we need to do the same thing. We need to seize that opportunity and see where the gospel conversation can come in. And not only do we have to seize the opportunity, look what he does next. He, Jesus, points Nicodemus to spiritual realities beyond himself. He points to spiritual realities beyond himself. See, the whole idea of this Judaism was, look at all the things that I can do. And Jesus says, it's not about you here. Look what he says, going back to verse 3. says this, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What's Nicodemus' response here? 
how can anyone be born again when he is old? He's trying to figure out, how can I do this? How can I do this? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, which is a physical birth and a spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, Nick is thinking, what can I do? And Jesus' answer is, you can't do anything. It's not about you. It's about the grace and the mercy of God. And he shifted that conversation. He shifted that conversation and said, you have to look beyond yourself. Because what is the common response? I don't know how many times you've had a gospel conversation, but one of the things you ask people is, is what do you think you're going to do to get into heaven? If you're going to stand before God, what do you think you did to get into heaven. And 90% of the time is, well, I have better good works than I do bad works. That scale is going to be in my favor. That's the natural response. And so when we look at that, he said, what can I do? And he says, there is no hope in yourself. There's only hope found in God. And he carries it from on to there to take it into verse 14, where he even brings up some things from the Old Testament that, that Nicodemus would fully understand. But he calls him to believe. He calls him to believe. He takes that step. First, he gets him thinking. Second, he says, look beyond yourself. Third, here is your opportunity to believe. And this is what he says in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, the goal of a gospel conversation is a call to belief. A call to belief. This is the essence of what Christianity is all about. The reason why Christ died, the reason why the gospel is good news. That's it. That Jesus came to die for you and for me, that so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He grabbed Nicodemus' interest, he pointed to his spiritual realities, he looked past himself, and then he called on him to believe. Now, we don't see the belief take place here, but we can look towards the end of Jesus' life. And you see what Nicodemus does. You know he's a changed man. We don't get to see the whole process, but we know that God was working in his life. Seizing the opportunity to turn conversations into spiritual conversations is an amazing thing. I want to challenge us today to be the kind of people that people will come and talk to and that people will listen to when it comes to us sharing the gospel. And as I say share the gospel, can I just ask you to do this to keep it clear and keep it simple. Keep it clear, and keep it simple. Because so often we can start throwing in words like substitutionary atonement, and propitiation, and, and, and words like, you know, sanctification, and justification, and they're like, woo, what? And, and I do that sometimes, so I just keep it clear, and keep it simple. And you're like, but how do you keep it clear, and how do you keep it simple? Colossians chapter 4, actually Paul praise and ask the church at Colossae to pray for him in this way. At the same time, he says in verse 3, pray also for us that God may open a door. We've been praying for that. To do or for us to share the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in change so that I may make it known as I should. Some of your translations may say, so I can make it known clearly. 
so people can understand it. So you might ask, how? How do I share the gospel in a simple way? Now, I don't know how long you've been a part of church, but I've been in church now for 30 plus years, and I've heard what seems like maybe a small estimate of, of, of getting a little big and blowing it up thousands of ways. And I'm going to throw a couple of them at you. The first one is, is the video that you saw, gospel. Gospel, it, it stands for God created us to be with him. Our sins separated. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. So paying the price for sin, God sent Jesus Christ. And everyone e, who trusts in him will have L life. It's that simple. And you're like, is it? There's an app for it. If it's not that simple to say it out loud, there's an app for it. If you guys like to be on your phones, we already talked about screen time. Get on, check it out. Gospel, it'll walk you through it. You want another app that's even easier, that literally walks you through the steps? It's called the three circles. It's called napkin evangelism. And it's very simple. The three circles do this. There is God's plan. There is sin, which leads to brokenness. There's repentance in believing the gospel, which leads us back to God's original plan, God's original design. There's an app for that. As a matter of fact, I have it on my phone. It literally walks you through what to say as you swipe over. It's so easy. Grab it. Use it. Don't want to do that? Maybe you grew up and you're like hardcore Southern Baptist right down to the very core, and you're like, nope, four spiritual laws. That's it. That's all we talk about. You know what the four spiritual laws are? That's it. God, man, Jesus, faith. God had a plan, man had a sin, Jesus had to come in, all you have to do is believe with faith. Maybe it's the next one, maybe you've done the Romans road, and some of you have heard that, you're like, Romans road, what's that? Go through in your Bible, mark out these verses, highlight these verses, and walk people through it. Walk people through it. Romans road, Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's that sin thing. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mark it in your Bible. Flip through it. The book of Romans. Don't want to go through all the book of Romans? How about Romans 6, 23? Simple one-verse method. One verse is wages, sin, death. For the wages of sin is death, but, biggest but in the Bible, but the gift of God is, Jesus, or, or is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Simple one-verse method. You have one side, you have the but, you have the other side. It's, it's real easy. Don't want to do any of those? How about this? EE. Ever heard of EE before? Or the ABCs? ABCs, admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the only way. Confess your sins and make him Lord. How about uh, EE? There's two questions. Maybe you've done Evangelism Explosion. I had to go through a 17-week training course on this one. This one isn't quite as easy. Uh, but it starts off with two questions. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And, and will you be with God in heaven? Get their answer to that. Once again, engaging that spiritual conversation. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You follow it up with heaven, man, God, Jesus, faith. Heaven's a free gift. Man is a sinner. God is merciful, but God is just. Jesus Christ came because God is merciful. And all you have to do is believe in faith. It's a simple five-finger thing. Why aren't we sharing the gospel? I mean, even Billy Graham has one. 
don't like all the things I said, and you really like Billy Graham, God's plan, our problem. God's remedy, our response. You know what each one of these things have in common? They answer the five questions we need to have answered. First, who is God? Second, what is sin? Third, what is grace? Fourth, what is the purpose of the cross? What is the purpose of Jesus Christ? And fifth, what is faith and repentance? Any one of those answer that. That that is where we have to come to this this head knowledge that becomes heart knowledge. A, a, A giving of ourselves and repenting and having faith, those first four questions are there. And you're like, you know what, Matt? You rattle those off way too fast. Type in share the gospel in Google. Most of those I grabbed off of there and kind of copied to make sure I had them right because I've done almost all of them at some point in time. But I wanted to share them in such a way. Just Google share the gospel. Go to sunlife.org. Go to dare to share. Dare to share is the, is the one that put on that gospel video we watched first. Go to those things. Those are ones that are going to challenge you to share your faith, to make that next step. And if somehow, some way, you're like, I just can't remember that. Can I just challenge you to do this? Share your story. Share your story, who you were when you met Jesus, who you are now. Do you have a story? All of us in here do. How do we share that? And you know what? I have shared my story hundreds and hundreds of times, even up here on this pulpit. So you're probably tired of hearing it. If you've never heard it before, I'd be happy to share it with you sometime in a one-on-one. Kind of tell you how God worked in my life to bring me to this point. But what I want to do today is I'm just going to randomly pick somebody to come up here and share their story. No, I'm not. Uh, Phil, <laughs> Phil, I, I asked Phil if he would come up and share his story on Friday because Friday morning during men's Bible study, all you guys can now relax, breathe easy. Uh, I know some of you might have to go outside and use the restroom now. I mean, all, all kinds of things worked up inside of you. But Phil, if you'd do me a favor, I, he shared his testimony real brief on um, on Sunday or Friday morning at men's Bible study, and I said, Phil, would you mind taking that same thing? Because there is power in your story, because there's power in the gospel that changes your story. Real brief, I have 55 minutes. Uh, you got about three and a half. Yeah, Is this working? Yep, yeah, you should be good. So, Phil, right. if you would. Um, interesting, the word gospel. I have another definition of that acrostic. God occasionally sends problems expecting learning. God occasionally sends problems expecting learning. That kind of has been a pattern of uh, not only my life, but my life with Yvonne as well. Not that she's the problem, but together we have had uh, several what people would consider problems come into our life. And uh, as a result of that, um, God has taught us lessons at each step of the way. But more than that, he has used those lessons to open doors of opportunity to actually share the gospel with other people kind of one of those. That, that could be an hour-long sermon on why good people suffer, I suppose, but it won't be. Uh, Matt asked me to share my testimony. Uh, to put it simply, um, I was raised in the church, specifically in the Catholic church, um, and for me, I was a totally bored young kid. I studied the back of the wood pew in front of me, much like you'd watch the clouds in the sky and look for animal shapes and things. I would study the wood grain patterns and look for things because I was just bored, didn't understand what was going on. I basically, although, you know, I, this is, huh, I'm telling my age right now, this is when the Mass was still in Latin. I became an altar boy. I knew the entire Mass in Latin. I could say the entire Mass in Latin. Don't ask me to do it now. I can't. But um, despite all of that, by the time I was in my mid-teens, say 15-ish, um, 
I had tuned out. Um, I had basically absorbed a message that salvation was through the church. It was a balanced scale system of where, you know, St. Peter was up there with his, black, his book, and every time I did something wrong, he'd make a black mark in it. And I was taught a system of by good works, I could earn what they call then, and they may still do, I don't know, indulgences. And, and I'm really going to date myself again. I kind of pictured that as S&H green stamps. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your parents or your grandparents later. And every time I did something good, I would paste a little green stamp in my spiritual green stamp book. And the way I understood salvation is that someday I would go to that great redemption center in the sky and hand in my green stamp books. And if I had more green stamps in my green stamp book than St. Peter had marks, black marks against me in his book, then I was in. The problem was I never knew how many green stamps was enough. I was afraid of God. I was afraid of dying. And I just did not have peace despite being raised in the church. So fast forward. Um, basically, I walked away from the church when I was 16. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to tell a little bit. On my, she, my wife, went, Yvonne, went through 12 years of parochial school, so she couldn't escape until she left for college. But she had a very similar church situation to me. And so we met in college. We got married uh, in her church. We you know, did the right thing as far as the church was concerned that we were raised in. And... Um, but we never really went back. And then God brought the first problem in our life. That problem came in the form of an opportunity uh, for me to leave our roots in, in New England and transfer to California. And uh, consequently, we were taken away from our family, taken away from everything we knew, set into a totally strange place. And uh, we went church shopping. And that turned out to be a disaster because we walked this particular church we went to. He was on a big evangelistic campaign. We had no idea what he was talking about. But all we know is that it made us incredibly uncomfortable because 2020 hindsight, we were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we had nobody to talk to about it and we didn't recognize it and had no idea what we were doing. So after three weeks of that, we bolted. It took then another few months. She got pregnant with our first son, Mark. We bought our first house in California. And we had both had enough church learning as kids growing up to know that, well, if we're going to be raising children, we did not want to do that in a house that was not somehow connected with God. So we started church shopping again. And this time we went to another church in the neighboring town. And uh, the long and the short of it is that pastor followed up on us. I don't know what inspired me other than the Holy Spirit. Again, 2020 hindsight. For the first time, we filled out one of those, you know, tear off the little coupon at the bottom of the page and throw it in the office plate, in the offering plate with my token dollar that I'd been taught to give as a good Catholic. And uh, he followed up on us and, and chased us down, found us eventually a couple of weeks later at our home. And uh, so he, small talk, conversation. Who are you? What are you doing? You know, how's things going? You know, blah, blah, blah. And we told him our church shopping story and why we were looking. Well, he, he knew that that was just a smokescreen. He knew that what we really needed was Jesus Christ in our lives. We had no clue but he was totally aware. And before the night was over, he led us both to the Lord, same time, same channel, 11.15 at night, called up his wife, said, I'm bringing the Sylvia's over, put the tea kettle on. One o'clock in the morning, we finally got home. That day happened to be the date that our first son, Mark, was due to be born, August 13, 1976. He was born 10 days later, but we got born again on his due date, which was pretty cool. <laughs> 